All right. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen. How many of you been enjoying the series we've been on here with the miracles of Jesus? Amen. Well, today we're going to get to see what I've titled Double Barrel Miracles. Uh, there's two that actually happen in today's message. So uh, everyone should have an outline that looks like this. I also have some that's just been printed uh, in Swahili for those of you uh, that have come in also. So if you can just follow along with me on that. We're going to be continuing in the book of Matthew uh, chapter 9. Now we've been focused just kind of going straight in from Matthew 8 on Jesus' miracles. And uh, many of these are also found in the book of Mark and also in Luke. And they kind of give a different eyewitness account and viewpoint than what Matthew does. But as we continue this series, uh, one of the things that we have learned through this series is that through these various miracles, Jesus demonstrated His power and his authority over various areas of life. And without raising your hands, how many of you have ever struggled in some areas of life that you need help to, needed help in? Well, I want to assure you that Jesus is able to walk you through those areas. In the first three miracles, we see Jesus' power to cleanse a leper, So he has the power to make clean. He had the power to heal the centurion's servant from a distance. He didn't even have to be in the same house. He just spoke the word and he was healed. We see that he also had the uh, ability to carry our diseases. And in the second three miracles, we see Jesus' power over storms. We see Jesus' power over Satan. We see Jesus' power over sin. He told the leprous men last week, your sins are forgiven. And he said that before he healed him. So he has the power to forgive of sin. He has the power to heal. He has the power to cease storms from hurting. He has powers over demons. He had power to uh, touch a disease that would normally cause you to get a disease, yet he didn't get the disease. He included women. He included the outcast. So I just want you to know there is nothing God cannot do. And I want you to know that in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus' power heal sickness and raise the dead. I'm going to say that again. Raise the dead. Now, two of the greatest enemies of human happiness is the twin problems of sickness and death. How many of you know you're not that happy when you're sick? And how many of you know, you, you know, death does not bring happiness? If you lose a loved one, there is a lot of pain. So if sickness and death were taken out of the equation, in fact, can you imagine what life would be like today without any sickness, without any death. What would it be like for you to never be sick again? 
Wouldn't that be awesome? What would it be like if death were removed from the equation? And you know, really, all sickness is a form of dying. How many of you ever felt sick? You're like, man, I feel like I'm dying. You said that even. Well, the Bible teaches us that both sickness and death are a result of sin. And, and God did not create the world that way. God created the world good, but sin got into Lucifer, and that sin got into Eve and got into Adam, and now we're all born with it. How many of you have ever taught your child to lie? Probably no parent has ever taught their child to lie. Yet, how many of you parents, your child has lied? And yet, you did not teach them that. They came with that. So, we all come into this world with sin. And so much suffering and sorrow occur every day in this world simply because of sickness and death. So, what I want to share with you today, it is good news to proclaim that Jesus has power over both sickness and death that has been brought into the world. And Jesus, when he began his ministry, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He was preaching, teaching, and healing everywhere he went. And he said, the kingdom of God is here. So his mission was to show that God rules over every area of life, and it crosses all cultural boundaries. And today's passage records these two miracles of Jesus. And again, as I said, I've titled it Double Barrel Miracles. And these two miracles will give us an opportunity to see different people's attitudes toward Jesus. And you're going to come across three of them. And you'll see his response to them. Not everybody liked Jesus, just like today. Not everybody loves Jesus. But through it all, you're going to see the importance of faith in Jesus and His ultimate power over sickness and death. You ready? Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. We're going to begin with the synagogue official's daughter. The ruler comes to Jesus with a very specific request. Out of the New American Standard, it says, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will become alive again. Jesus got up from the table and began to accompany him along with his disciples. Now, the first thing I want you to see here, I want you to notice in these verses the attitude of the ruler. As the ruler approaches Jesus with his request, he is both respectful and believing. Let's go back to verse 18. It says that when the ruler comes to Jesus, what does he do? He bows down. This is a ruler in the synagogue. This is one who had a job within the ministry 
of the synagogue. And yet, he is bowing down to Jesus. I want you to see two things about this ruler, is that he is both respectful and believing. He bows down before Jesus, and that is not necessarily an act of worship in those days, but it is definitely a posture of reverence and of respect. Notice also he's full of faith. His daughter now, she has just, I want you to think about this, parents. His daughter has just died. It just happened. And he leaves the daughter and goes find Jesus. He believes that Jesus can make her alive again, and he says, come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Do you remember someone else in Capernaum that Jesus laid his hand on? Peter's mother-in-law laid his hand on her, and she was healed of her sickness. So, he believes that Jesus can raise his daughter with just the touch of his hand. And we have already seen that Jesus has healed some very sick people up to this point, but he has not yet raised anyone from the dead. And so this request is one that demonstrates enormous faith in the person and power of Jesus. So the ruler is both respectful and believing towards Jesus. And the Bible teaches us these are two attitudes that we should always have in approaching God. I want you to see this scripture in Hebrews 11:6. We're told there but without faith it is sometimes possible on occasion possible. No, what does it say? Without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. A lot of people have the, maybe those who, who don't believe in God, uh, they're in one category, but there can also be those who believe in God that He is like some big ogre up in heaven with a big club ready to knock them over the head when they do wrong. The Bible says we must believe that God is and also believe He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, sometimes I don't think I'm off base here by saying this, that sometimes we don't get the rewards because we don't diligently seek. Because the Bible says He will reward you if you diligently seek. Now, I want to tell you what diligently seek doesn't mean. It doesn't mean pray once and then, oh, well, I guess God doesn't want to do it. No, you diligently seek. Jesus sweat drops of blood. Jesus went away and came back three times in the garden. The woman who wanted restitution from the unrighteous judge went to the judge, left the judge, came back to the judge, left him again, went back to him again and asked over and over. And finally the judge said, let me... Lady, have what you want because if you keep coming, you're going to wear me out. 
Now, I want you to know, that is not God's attitude. That was an unrighteous man. But he said, lest she wear me out. She just keeps on coming. How you know that's diligence? Say, I will not be denied. I will not be moved. I love that, that song that we used to sing of the hymns. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Well, I shall not be moved in the things I know God wants me to have. Amen. So we got to come to God with both reverence and faith. So the question I have is, what is Jesus' response to the ruler's request? Jesus' response is both cooperative and willing. It's yes and amen. It's yes, I'll do that. Amen. Let's do it. He doesn't deny the ruler's request. He actually gets up and he begins to follow him. Now, he doesn't offer to heal from a distance in this occasion, like he did the centurion servant. This ruler made a very particular, specific request. He said, come, lay your hand on her, and she'll rise again. So he makes a specific request, and Jesus responds to his specific request. And Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Do you know what I call that? I call that request a rifle prayer. When you're shooting a rifle, you can go a lot further with it. And when you aim right, you can hit the bullseye. Now, you can shoot from the same distance with a shotgun, and you won't hit just that particular thing. You're going to just splatter all over the place, right? So I think what we need to understand is sometimes God wants us to pray a rifle prayer. What is it that you want? Jesus would say this often, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And some of us are on different levels of faith. I get that. But I believe that God would rather us pray a rifle prayer rather than a shotgun prayer. And here's what a lot of times, you know, notice that he didn't say, Lord, if it be your will, come and heal her. And I'm not saying it's wrong to say, Lord, according to your will, let it be done. But sometimes I think it's kind of a cop-out at times when we just go, you know what, well, maybe it's not God's will, so I'm just going to go, you know, if it's your will, maybe do that, you know, if you, if you got time today. Instead of going, God, this is what I need. Would you come and would you lay your hand on her? Now, Jesus could say, that's not the way I'm going to heal, and that's okay if that's not the way God's going to do it. Because notice, he doesn't, he doesn't just say, you know what? I won't even need to touch her. I'll just say the word. But he doesn't. The Bible makes it clear when it comes to prayer that God wants you to ask. In fact, he encourages you to ask. He invites you to ask. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, if you read in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, you will find that when you get to chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, you'll find these words. And Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So, would you say this out loud with me? God wants me to ask. And when you approach Him with reverence and faith, He's going to hear your prayer. 
He's going to answer your prayer. Amen? Now, the second thing I want you to see is I want you to see the woman with the bleeding. We've often heard her referred to as the woman with the issue of blood. And actually, that's just a nice way of saying it. She's actually hemorrhaging on a slow basis. She's hemorrhaging. And before we find out what happens to the ruler's daughter, Matthew tells us about a double miracle, shotgun miracle, double barrel miracle that takes place on the way to the ruler's house. And on the way to raise this little, and we find out from the other gospels that she's 12 years old. She's 12 years old. And then we find out from the other gospels that this woman that comes up to Jesus who is hemorrhaging is actually been dealing with this for 12 years. So the woman with the issue of blood has been dealing with her problem as many years old as the daughter of Jairus. And we find out the ruler's name is Jairus in the other accounts. So look at verses 20 through 22 with me. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him. I want you to notice the difference. The ruler approaches him straight on. This woman comes up behind him and touches the border of his cloak or the fringe. But Jesus, or for she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus turning and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And I want you to notice this. It doesn't say a year later she was made well. It doesn't say after many treatments she was made well. It says at once the woman was made well. Now, I brought the point up to you about how this woman approaches Jesus and the difference that she approaches than the ruler does. The ruler walks right up before Jesus with his request. She comes up behind Jesus and just touches the fringe of his cloak. She doesn't even talk to him. But she says to herself, she's talking to herself. And how many of you talk to yourself? I do. I've been told you're in trouble if you start answering yourself. I answer myself. I don't know. Maybe I'm in trouble. But I do. I talk to myself. David did that. King David did. That's where I learned it from King David. Amen. In the book of Psalms. He said, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Amen? So, the ruler's request was both respectful and believing, but this woman's approach is both secretive but believing. Now, why was the woman so timid and secretive in her approach? Well, it could be any numbers of reasons. Number one, we understand the culture back then that women were uh, kind of lower rate, down on the, the rung. She was a woman. Jesus was a man. So perhaps uh, she didn't want to make a scene. Possibly she saw that Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's in a hurry, and she doesn't want to bother him. Or she didn't know if he would take the time to stop for her. And 
her bleeding, just like the leper, made her unclean. And so whatever the reason was, she was secretive in her approach, and she didn't approach Jesus directly. But as soon as she touched him, Jesus knew. Jesus knows every time we reach out and touch him. The other gospels tell us that he physically felt the healing power leave his body. He felt it. There were a lot of other people pressing against Jesus in the crowd that day. The other gospels say that Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, Lord, what do you mean, who touched you? There's a crowd of people touching you. He's like, no, but I felt power leave my body. Only the woman touched him with faith to be healed. Now watch this. She may not have had confidence to approach him to his face, but she had faith. What does that say to us? Faith can move a mountain. If you have faith the grain the size of the grain of a mustard seed, Jesus said, you can say to this mountain be removed. You see, it's not proximity to Jesus that matters, but faith in Jesus. It's not simply touching him, but being touched by him in response to your faith, because that's what happened. When she touched him in faith, power left him and healed her immediately. Can you imagine dealing with something for 12 years? How many of you have ever dealt with something physically for 12 years long? Yeah. You know what that's like. So the woman had faith but lacked confidence. She's afraid to approach Jesus directly. But praise God, there is a scripture that will even help us through that. Let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 4. Are you ready? The book of Hebrews tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace, how? With confidence. We don't have to be secretive. We can go confidently to the throne of grace because we have the blood of Jesus that's washed us free. And when we come to God, God sees Jesus. He sees the blood of Jesus. So, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Jesus is not a God who is far off and removed. Rather, Jesus entered into human experience, and He experienced the same things you and I do. And He understands what you go through every day. And so you can approach Him with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. And I want to ask you this. Do you think possibly this woman might have asked God the Father to heal her already? Because sometimes we get into that real theological question, well, why are some people not healed and some people are? I told you earlier in a sermon, I don't really know. One of the most amazing women God ever used in healing 
was Catherine Kuhlman. And I'm telling you what, when that woman prayed for people, people were healed just left and right and left and right. And there were thousands of people that she ministered to, and she always kind of had this flowing gown. She almost looked like an angel when she would walk, and almost like floating. I mean, she would just almost float, it looked like, on the, on the platform. And she, I remember her reading about her, how she said to God, God, why did you choose me, a woman, to do this? Surely there's a man somewhere that can do it. He said, I went to six of them. And they told me no. But yet, Catherine Kuhlman died of a sickness she was not healed of. So why, Pastor? I don't know. Only God knows. So her approach is secretive but believing. And Jesus' response is both compassionate and reassuring. He doesn't reprimand her from coming up behind him. He doesn't rebuke her for her timid approach. Instead, he simply says, take courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now, church, we know it was his power that healed her, but he said, it's your faith. Do you see how close this is tied to healing. There's something here. It, this, this is the point I think often goes overlooked. Jesus didn't say, my power made you well. He said, your faith made you well. Because faith pleases God, as we've already seen in Hebrews eleven six. So we've got to approach God with faith, and we should approach God with confidence. And when you are lacking confidence, God doesn't hold it against you. Look at this in Psalm 103. Are you getting anything out of this? Look at verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 103. We're told there, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Reverence, honor, just like that man did, bowed down before him. For he knows how we are formed, or knows our frame, and he's mindful that we are but dust. You ever feel like, but dust? Do you ever just feel like dirt? Amen? I want you to see something here that, that, that God is wanting us to be aware of. He is aware already before you would even have to tell Him of what your weaknesses are and what your frailties are, and He doesn't despise you for your weakness. He actually, the Bible says He has compassion on you like you would a child of your own. How many of you know that your children are weak? They have weaknesses. They have things that they go through. And later in the gospel, if we, go, if we go to Matthew 12, in fact, let's look at that here in verse 20. If you keep on reading the book of Matthew, you're going to run across this scripture. Matthew says this about Jesus. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. Now, Matthew is quoting here out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 42 and verse 3. That's a direct quote. This is a direct quote of that. That's the NIV version. And what Matthew is doing here is he's quoting a prophecy that has to do with Jesus' response to things that are fragile and weak. A bruised reed. Do you know what that is? That that is a, uh, 
a reed like on the side of the road that's been bruised and is almost broken. Or a smoldering wick. A smoldering wick is a flame that it's on its way out. And the slightest breath or touch will extinguish it. So he's talking about some weak, frail things here. A bruised reed, he's not going to break it. A smoldering wick, he's not going to snuff it out till he leads justice to victory. How many of you pray for justice? How many of you know we haven't seen victory yet in justice? But we will. And you and I today are like a bruised reed and a smoldering wick in our weakness. And yet Jesus doesn't hold our weakness against us. When we are at our breaking point, when you feel like you're about to be snuffed out, Anybody ever feel that way? I have. He lovingly comes alongside, and He restores you. He has compassion for you, and He reassures you with His Word. So this miracle shows Jesus' kindness and compassion towards you, but also His power over sickness. This woman's bleeding was long-term. No doctor could heal it. Another gospel said that she'd spent all her savings on doctors trying to get it taken care of. The doctors hadn't been able to heal it. But her bleeding was healed. It was just a touch of Jesus' cloak. Not a lot of confidence, but a lot of faith. Can you say amen? Now let's look at point three, and that is the dead girl raised, verses 23 through 26. When Jesus came into the official's house, He sees this scene. Flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. How many of you know where there is disorder? God's not in it. God brings order to chaos. This crowd is in noisy disorder, and Jesus said, leave For the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. Now, they were in there mourning, wailing, crying, and all of a sudden, that turned into laughter. They're mocking him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, just like he was asked. And what happened? The girl got up, and this news spread throughout that land. So Jesus arrives at the ruler's house, meets a group of mourners there. He tells them to go away, that the girl is not dead but asleep, and they laugh at him. You know what the crowd's attitude is? It's the exact opposite of the ruler's. The ruler was respectful and believing. The crowd is disrespectful and disbelieving, and a lot of people today are in that category. Disrespectful of God and disbelieving. Even though Jesus may not require strength and confidence from us at all times, and He lovingly bears with our weakness, He does expect reverence and faith and deserves it. James chapter 1, hear these words in verses 6 through 7. And it is believed that this James is the James that was Jesus' little brother. That one time in his life didn't believe in Jesus, but ultimately became a follower. Now watch this. 
He says this about prayer. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So you know what we need to do? We need, a, we need an internal check to find out, are we believing or unbelieving? Are we, a, are we like a wave on the sea being tossed by the wind? Are we rooted and grounded in God? You see, this verse in its context specifically has to do with asking God for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Okay? But the principle of this applies to all the requests that we make to God. You see, we must come to God believing. If you ask God for something and you don't believe, don't expect to receive it because it won't come. It's a good thing that people in the crowd weren't the ones asking Jesus to raise this girl from the dead because their attitude would have prevented the miracle because they're both disrespectful and disbelieving. And Jesus' response to the crowd is both authoritative and mysterious to me. I mean, it's authoritative, there's no doubt about it, but it's also mysterious. First of all, he comes in and he takes charge of this situation. He puts him out of the house before he does anything. In fact, before he even really comes into the house. And you know what? He does not let the doubters witness the miracle he's about to perform. He just doesn't. And Jesus' response here is also mysterious with them. He doesn't come right out and tell them the girl is dead and that he's fixing to raise her. Instead, this is what he says. He speaks speaks to them in the terms of the girl is sleeping and waking. She's asleep, but she'll wake up. Did you catch that? He didn't say she's dead and she's going to rise again. That's, some, that's a little mysterious. Why isn't he telling them what he's going to do? Do you know that God doesn't tell his secrets to just anyone? The girl really is physically dead. Can I just get an amen? She's dead. Jaira said she was. But the Bible uses this language of sleep to indicate that death is a temporary state. You know, we're used to thinking about death as a final state. But the Bible says that when you die, as a believer, your body, really it's merely sleeping. And the great thing about sleeping is when you lie down, you will get back up again. Y'all remember Lazarus? We haven't gotten here yet, but you remember what, what Jesus said about Lazarus? He's asleep. And what did the disciples say? Well, Lord, if he's sleeping, surely he'll wake up. He's like, guys, he's dead. But I said he's asleep because I'm going to go wake him up. And there's going to come a day in time when people who have died in Jesus, the Bible says, the trump shall sound. 
The dead in Christ will rise first, and we which who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the only reason why the dead rise first is they got to get their spirit and body back together. We're already together. If Jesus comes today, our spirit is in our body, our soul is in our body, and all we do is we're changed. The mortal puts on immortality. Amen? The roof of Celebration Church here would keep you from, if, if I lifted you up with the rope, I couldn't get your head through the roof because it wouldn't go because matter matters. But once you are changed in this this body that can die will put on immortality. You can go right through the roof with no help from a rope. I remember there was a group of singers way back called the Imperials. And they used to sing a song, uh, I'm going to fly so high. They were talking about the rapture. They were talking about how they would fly up through the air and they'd meet Jesus. And that, that is biblical, First Thessalonians. So, when Jesus returns, like I said, he's going to save the bodies that are in the grave, and those bodies are going to rise. But, but the question is, is why doesn't Jesus come right out and tell the crowd what he's fixing to do? He's so mysterious with the crowd. Well, throughout the Gospels, if you keep reading, you will learn that Jesus speaks plainly to those who believe, and he speaks in mysteries and parables with those who don't. The disciples even ask him this, Lord, why, don't, why do you speak everything in parables? Because they won't believe. Look at this conversation. In fact, let's look at this in Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge, here it is, of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. But you know what he does will ultimately say? He will say, whoever will believe, they can receive. And they'll get the secrets. But you got to believe. you gotta, got to believe that God is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, God's Word is plain as day to those who will believe, but those who don't and won't, it's a mystery. The truth is clouded from their minds. Faith leads to understanding, and we've got to approach God in an attitude of faith if we want to understand His Word. Matthew tells us Jesus took the dead girl by the hand, and she got up. So this miracle shows us Jesus' power even over death. Jesus did exactly what the ruler asked him to do and exactly what the ruler believed he could do. The ruler told Jesus at the beginning of this passage back in verse 18, my daughter's just died. But come, lay your hand on her and she'll become alive again. And Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, she got up. D.L. Moody had to do a funeral early in his ministry, and so he went through the Gospels trying to find out what Jesus said in his funeral messages. And what he found out is Jesus never preached a funeral message. 
He just raised the person from the dead. But really, I mean, that's a pretty good funeral message in itself. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, go to the funeral and uh, the loved one, they're, 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 they come back to life. <laughs> that was his funeral message. That's exactly what he does here. And the result is that the news of this miracle spread through all the region. And church, here's why Jesus would often say, don't tell anybody about this, because people would come by the drug. They would overpower a town. Talk about homeless tent cities. I mean, you would have people coming from all over the place. Can you imagine the chaos that could ensue? And that's what was happening as he was going to even Jairus' house is you had this crowd of people thronging around him. Amen? It was like, you know, we've all heard the phrase, Elvis is in the house. Well, there's somebody here greater than Elvis. Jesus is in the house. And Jesus says this, and i got to close. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus is saying. So I have all the power in heaven and on earth that the Father gave me. And you know what? I'm giving it to you. Go out there and make disciples. And that's exactly what these men finally got a hold of. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has the power to make clean. He has the power to heal from a distance. He has power over storms. He has power over Satan. He has power over sin. He has power over sickness. He has power over death. And we're going to go make disciples telling the world of his power and authority to save. Those two miracles are double-barrel miracles. The devil lost twice. Boom, boom, in one day. They're intertwined. In fact, as I said, this little girl is 12 years old, and the woman had the, woman had the hemorrhage for 12 years. And together, they show us the power of sickness and death being destroyed. Now, I want to say something before I close, and that's this. This does not mean that Jesus is going to raise every one of our loved ones from the dead. Before they're in the grave. Peter's in the grave. Paul is in the grave. Andrew. Matthew. They died. Even the longest living disciple, John, who wrote Revelation, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is how he referred to himself, he ultimately died of old age. But really, they're just asleep. Because the Bible says to be absent in the body just means I'm present with the Lord in my spirit and soul. My body's the one what's in there. It's kind of like it's sleeping. In fact, when you ever see your loved one, right, and you go to a funeral or they're in the casket at the, 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 the mortuary, it just, it just looks like they're sleeping. Just look at them. It's like, well, I know they're not there, but their body looks like they're just sleeping. I can assure you this. They're better off than we are. Now, I know sometimes people don't like to hear that, and it kind of sounds curt. It's like they're better off than we are, but what about me? I'm missing them. Well, that's what 
That's what Paul was saying. Brethren, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't need to, we don't have to uh, grieve like the world because we will see them. Jesus says that, or the Bible says this in Revelation 21, that one day Jesus is coming back in His fullness. His kingdom will be here in fullness. And when Christ returns, all those belonging to Him, He'll raise from the dead. And the Bible says there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Earlier I asked you, what would it be like to not have sickness and not have death anymore? It'll be like heaven because that's what heaven is. So I pray if you've grieved for a loved one, leave today knowing they know Jesus. They're okay. They're good to go. They're not in pain anymore. So Jesus has power over sickness and he has death. So let's come, or he has power over death. So let's come before him with reverence and faith. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive grace and mercy in time of need and not be afraid to pray for healing. Let's trust God's power and kindness in Jesus. And let's look forward in faith to his return when sickness and death will be no more. Can you say amen to that? Let's bow. Father, help us be respectful and believing. May we be confident in our approaching you. Increase our faith, Lord. Just as the one man said, Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. Help the unbelief go. I pray over every person in this room today, Father, regardless of where they're at, what they're facing, what they what their situations are, I know that you know them. I know you know where they are. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal their heart, that you would hear their prayer, and that you would raise them up. Father, I pray that you would heal their prayer. Your word says, Lord, for us to ask and we would receive, to seek and would find, to knock and the door would be open. So we stand on your word, Asking, seeking, and knocking. May we go from this place today with a greater faith than we came in. And we pray it in the name of Jesus and all the people said, amen. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this week. God burns a chair in between.